you guys so much for that. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 28. Acts 28. Last week we saw the shipwreck. The Apostle Paul was um, on a boat with a bunch of other people, and they were tossed to and fro, went all the way to Malta. Did not know where they were, and they were shipwrecked there on Malta, and they escaped. God promised that all the people would survive. They'd lose everything else, but the people would survive, and God's promise was kept. When we find ourselves in chapter 28... You know, you think about Paul's ministry up to this point when he's saved on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. So much of his ministry has been restricted by other people. Paul has been thrown in jail. He has been brought to speak before governors. He has been in chains. He's shipped as part of a prisoner convoy to Rome. And I think of so much of his life as being restricted, being bound, and he has been prevented from doing what he really wants to do, which was evangelizing the world. He has been able to do a lot of that. He was the first missionary who spread the gospel around. What we find in this passage is that God brings new people into your life, often through unexpected circumstances. And so Paul here finds new people, new places, but the same message. And I want to encourage you today that when God, from your perspective, when He wrecks your schedule, that He might have someone new for you to serve. So often we see things from our own perspective, and our priorities, our plans take place. Some of you are big planners. You have five-year plans, 10-year plans, 20-year plans, and you know where things ought to be and what things ought to be happening. And you get kind of upset when things aren't working right. And other of you are just fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of people. I'm going to speak more to those people today who find themselves a little bit more trying to keep control of their life. And those of us who do that need to recognize that God is the one who's ultimately in control, that we, we really need to realize that God is divinely bringing us exactly where He wants us to be. So today I want to challenge you to minister wherever God takes you, minister to whomever God puts in your path, and learn to go where God is leading. Let's see what God has to teach us in this passage today. Before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you give us your grace today. We've asked for that many times, but Lord, we desperately need your presence here among us. Without it, we are uh, engaged in foolishness, Lord. We know that with your Spirit, it is the power of God into salvation. The gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes, and not just for the Jewish person. It's also to those who are Gentiles. Lord, there are many of us here today who have already claimed that truth and already believe in that Savior. We're thankful for the power you display in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And here I pray you would help us to see your hand at work in our lives as well, directing us, guiding us, leading us to the people we ought to love and minister to. And Lord, help us not to be frustrated with the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We pray, God, that you'd help us to rest in you, the God of all creation, the Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 28. Read with me the first couple verses. We'll see God caring for this group of people. They land on Malta. Malta is a small island. In fact, we have a missionary. We, we, we are supporting a missionary, the Tannises, who are serving in Malta, and they sent a picture just last week of them outside of St. Paul's Bay, where Paul 
um, and his, his boat uh, wrecked there and uh, still today called St. Paul's Bay. It's very likely the place where he wrecked. Let's look at verse 1. He says, now when they'd escaped, speaking of the boat, they escaped the boat, then they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us an unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire, made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. I want to show you first Paul's desire and Paul's ministry to people. I think that God, uh, that God works here dramatically in Paul's life. And when you choose to serve the lost, when you choose to serve the lost, God will often show his power to you. And we see that at the very beginning when God shows his protective power in the first few verses here. It would have been, been very common probably for the natives on this place to, to be hostile to people who would crash into their, into their shore. I, I would imagine that to be the case. But these are pagans. They're, they have no connection to the Lord. They have no connection to Christianity. They, they do not know God. They, they do not know the demands for us to show kindness. But it's amazing to me that they show hospitality. Don't You see that right from the beginning, that these natives show hospitality and that the 275 other people who are on that boat. That's a big crew. And as they all get there, these 275 people have waded through the water, have clung to parts of the ship, and have made their way to the land, and, and the people provide for them and protect them. What a blessing that God shows his protective power through people like this. God can show his protective power even through people who do not yet know him. They kindle the fire. The people there are gathering six to burn. In verse 3, we see Paul helping along. Uh, helping this, this program, helping this, uh, this job of getting sticks. It's everybody's job to do it. So he says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, it says, a viper, a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. It's amazing. The, the natives see what's going on with Paul here. And, and Paul, of course, brings the bundle of sticks. He dumps it on the fire. And the sticks probably had a snake in them somewhere. And the snake jumps out of the fire and latches onto Paul's hand. And it bites him. And, and these, these, these natives know what they're looking at. This is the thing. See, they, didn't, they, they knew the snake. They weren't uh, uh, ignorant of what was going on. Everybody else might have been ignorant, but these, these natives were not. They saw what was happening. And their immediate response is this. They think, oh, the God of justice is going to make sure this guy doesn't escape because he was in a shipwreck. Somehow he got to shore, but he's not going to survive a snake bite. This snake bite would have killed anybody, but God's protective hand extends even to the danger from these wild animals. Look at verse 5. He says, he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. That's a scary thought, a scary thing to know that you've just been bitten by this dangerous snake. I don't know if Paul knew what he had done or what had happened to him or not. It's unclear from this text whether Paul realized that he had been bitten by a very poisonous snake, but he shakes it into the fire. He is, it says, and they were, look at verse 6, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall over dead. You could almost imagine them all. It's like kindling fires, eating food, like uh, getting everybody warm, and then looking over and seeing Paul with a snake dangling from his hand, and they all stop mid-sentence. They all stop like mid-bite, and they watch to see what happens. They're wondering what's going to happen. Is this guy going to fall over? Is this guy going to die? This is a scary situation. On our very first mission trip I ever took with Harvest Baptist Church as a youth pastor, we went to the island of Antigua. And while one of the first nights we were out in Antigua on this island, uh, we were eating out, out to eat, and some of the teenagers decided they would go exploring. And while they went exploring up the, up, the, uh, up the beach a little ways from us, one of them came back and said, hey, we found something that's really, really interesting. It's, a, it's an apple, and it tastes really spicy. It's really interesting. And one of the waitresses who was serving us, like, I think she screamed a little bit because she saw what they were eating, and she says, don't you know 
And that's the most poisonous fruit on this whole island. In fact, the government went through a whole process of trying to tear down these trees, find every one of them, and kill them because they were killing guests to the island. Now, I'm a youth pastor responsible for a group of teenagers, and for some reason, one of the girls, it had to be the girl, right? The girl goes and takes the apple from the tree. What's going on with that? And, and, uh, and, they, and they're, they're eating this. In fact, they say that if you're under these trees and the rain comes on you, it, will actually, it can actually create blisters on your hand from the, from the, from the rain water running off these, um, these, these fruit. And so I have never seen them move into such quick action. These ladies who worked at the restaurant uh, got charcoal and they got milk. And they, they fed these kids charcoal and milk to try to get them to... Uh, to absorb the poison, and that they would not. And I had to make a phone call to one of the parents that night. I, I sat down um, and I called and I said, because uh, one of the girls, her tongue started to swell and it got really large in her mouth and she wasn't having a hard time talking. And so I, I called her dad and I said, um, um, <laughs> I said, everything's okay. I just want to, it's not, maybe it won't be okay in a little while. I just need to have your permission <laughs> that if we have to go to the hospital, I need your permission to go. And he said, uh, okay, no problem. He was very understanding. And and uh, I tell that story to tell you that it is, is a frightening thing to be in a place that you don't know and to be uh, exposed to poison like this that you're not aware of. It, it's very frightening. And I was, I was terrified of what might happen to those people in my charge and what they were doing. And I, you know, I'm sure they were scared as well because that is a terrifying thing. And Paul here, bitten by the snake, an amazing thing happens in that they know, like, like, for example, when we were on the island, those, we didn't know what was going on with this poison apple. We didn't know. It didn't strike us with fear, but it struck them with fear. And that's what scared me, that they were scared. And Paul here being bitten by the snake, all the natives there, they are struck with fear. But look what happens. It says in the second part of verse six here, but after they had looked for a long time, and saw no harm had come to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. They were amazed that God had protected this man. And I don't, uh, there's actually a couple ways of reading this last phrase, whether they thought he was actually God, they started worshiping him, or whether they thought he was a man in good standing with God. We're not really clear here, but they went from thinking Paul was a criminal deserving of death to now, oh, he must be really walking with God if he gets bit by that snake and doesn't die. God shows his protective power when we serve others by serving the Lord, when we serve the lost. If you keep going in verse 7 through 10, we see that he shows a healing power here, that the people on Malta had shown kindness, and they would serve him. So, so God show, chose, to show, chose to give Paul an unbelievable uh, outflowing of gifts here again. Look at verse 7. In that region, in the state of a living, uh, in that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, and he received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that there was a father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. Paul made friends with this man named Publius, who was either a man who owned a lot of land or was a government official. He was just a, a very important person in that area. And it comes up at some point that this man's father is sick. 
with this incurable disease. Paul took a personal interest in this man's family. And so he goes in, he prays over this father, he lays hands on him, and the man was immediately healed. This shows God's power over physical disease expands out even into the region beyond. If you keep reading in verse 9, we see the supernatural power that goes through the masses there on the island. It says, when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases came and were healed. The people who were sick came to Paul, and they were healed by the power of God. There does not seem to be any restriction here on who came. Everyone who came found healing. And this is amazing to me because God has allowing Paul to demonstrate a supernatural power to a group of people. And this is remarkable when you consider how things have been going for the past many chapters of the book of Acts. I I started thinking about this. I went back and looked, and the last miracle we have performed is in Acts chapter 20 with the raising of the young man Eutychus from the dead. God had not performed any miracles by Paul since Acts 20. We're in Acts 28. There would have been a lot of opportunities for Paul to perform miracles there before Festus and Agrippa and others. He's standing before them. He could have said, here, let me show you the power of God and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to heal someone in front of you. And that could have solved, that, that could have solved everything right there and then. But God did not allow Paul, or God did not choose to show his power through Paul in those moments. God is very specific and very directed in how he shows his power and how he shows his his supernatural power. And this got me thinking back to what Jesus was saying about the Jews. Do you remember when Jesus corrected the Jews in Luke chapter 11? It says that while the crowds were thickly gathered together, Jesus said to them, this is an evil generation. It seeks a what? It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Jesus speaking there to the Jews says, I will not give you signs like I give the Gentiles. I will not give you these signs because you're asking for them. The only sign you're going to receive is the sign of Jonah. What is the sign of Jonah? What What is Jonah known for? Being in the belly of the whale, right? Three days and three nights. But more than being in the belly of the whale, Jonah's known for coming out of the belly of the whale. I mean, you think about it. People have been swallowed by whales before, I'm sure, but not many people come out of the whale and live to tell about it. That's the sign of Jonah, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A lot of people die, but not many people rise from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection would be the sign of the Jews because it is the fulfillment of all that Old Testament anticipation. In fact, if you go forward to Acts, I mean, I'm sorry, to Luke chapter 16. Remember, Luke and Acts are written by the same writer, gospel writer Luke. Jesus rebukes the rich man. He tells a story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, remember, goes to heaven, and the rich man goes to hell. And the rich man calls out to Abraham there in heaven and says, would you please uh, send, uh, let me just read this. He says, would you, he says, besides all this, let me actually go back to verse 24. I, I only have verse 26 here on the screen, but he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on us. Send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water, cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, in other words, this is a Jewish man who's in hell. Son, remember in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. You are tormented. Notice verse 26. And beside all this, there between us, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So what does the man say? Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, Lazarus. Send Lazarus, who died, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he, Lazarus, may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. 
And, and, and he said, no, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. I want you to notice what he says in response to this. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus rose from the dead, and even then the Jews rejected him. He says, I, I will not give a sign to the Jews. I think this is exactly what's going on in these kinds of miracle stories. So these pagan Gentiles who, did not, who were not Jews, they didn't have the Old Testament. When Paul comes and he performs these miracles, it authenticates the minister and the ministry of God. If you look at verse 10, it says, they honored us in many ways. Acts chapter 28, verse 10, they honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. The Maltese people honored Paul and helped them go there. I, I think about this, that, that Paul had a powerful ministry in a place he never intended to be. Paul's ministry was because of a boat wreck that took them and the water that took them there. I mean, it was not where he intended to be. Three months off schedule was not where he intended to be. And so many times as American as, as, as we are, as very uh, tight schedule as we run, as, th- as things go by, you know, we like things to be on schedule. We like things to be where they should be. We get frustrated when things are off time frame. But God sometimes redirects us and puts us exactly where we need to be to minister and to serve the lost, to serve people who we never would have seen before. I want you to consider two things before we move on. One is that Paul was convinced in the sovereignty and the authority and the providence of God, which allowed him to trust God and live in the moment that God had given him. He was not walking around saying, why am I here? This is not Rome. This is Malta. Lord, I'm not happy here. I really wish I was in Malta. I've talked to people who are constantly frustrated. They're not where they want to be. I I, I beg of you, recognize you are where God wants you to be right now. God has a place for you and a purpose for you. It may not be where you want to be. You may be frustrated, but God's not frustrated because God's plan is perfect. And when God directs us and redirects us, we ought to see that. And so if Paul were walking around, woe is me, why can't I go to Rome? He would never have seen the opportunities to reach into the life of Publius, to reach into the lives of the people there, and to perform these miracles for these folks, and that God's word could go forward. In fact, Paul, I think, was able to avoid getting angry or frustrated with the things out of his control, because they were in God's control. Secondly, I want you to notice a a funny little uh, interlude here before we get to the final movement of this story, which is that you should also look for chances and opportunities when your plans are wrecked to encourage the brothers. You should look for opportunities to serve the lost and to encourage other believers. Sometimes you have to go find them. Look at verse 11. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled round and reached Regium. After one day, the south wind blew. The next day, we came to Petulio. I can't say it. Let me say this again. Putioli. Sorry about that. Where we found brethren. And we were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome. So they're going and they're finding believers. They travel up. I have another map for you today. They travel up from Malta. There's a thin blue line. You'll notice Malta's the tiny little island at the bottom of the screen. Here's Sicily and Italy on the right. Rome is all the way at the top. They go there. Uh, they stop first at, at Syracuse and then Regium and then further up uh, to that city. I had a tr- hard time pronouncing uh, earlier. And then they make their way up towards Rome. This is the route they're taking to get to Rome. But it's amazing to me that Paul, in verse 14, was able to find brothers. He was able to find Christians even this far from home. There's some of you who are really good at this. You don't know a stranger, right? You sit down on a, on a, on a, 
public transit and you strike up a conversation with the person next to you. Next thing you know, you realize you're actually related to each other somehow. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Paul was able to do that with people. He went into a place and he found people who were Christians where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. He stayed with them for one week. They were likely exhausted from the trip. They needed a place to stay. You need to look for brothers. You need to look for people. When God redirects you, when God shipwrecks your plans, look for people who you can encourage. You never know who you're going to find. Talk to people about Christ. You know, sometimes also the brothers find you. You see this in verse 15, that that after a while it says, from there when the brothers heard about us, they came to meet us as far as a, a PI forum and the three ends. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. The brothers who he stayed with went up to Rome and said, we have Paul here. He's here. You need to come be encouraged. And so some of these brothers come to meet Paul. They come down to meet him. And then look at what it says at the end of verse 16. How does Paul respond? Or verse 15, sorry. How does Paul respond to these brethren He saw them, he thanked God, and he took courage. It's exactly what he needed in this moment. Don't underestimate the importance and the power of Christian fellowship. Do never underestimate the importance and the power of Christian fellowship. God has given us, brothers and sisters, to encourage us in the faith. We are your partnership in the faith is absolutely necessary. I think of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You need to find brothers, and when brothers find you, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Verse 16, we came to Rome. The centurion delivered the prisoners of the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. They arrived there with the captain of the guard. Everyone was given over to the captain of the guard. They were given over to prison, but not Paul. Paul was given special privileges to live by himself under house arrest while being guarded. Paul was not done, though. For a lot of us, if we're in jail, if we're under house arrest, we think, well, I'm stuck. I am bound. I am unable to go anywhere. Like, this is where I have to be. I might as well just sit around and not do anything. But Paul, while awaiting his trial for Caesar, took advantage of being in Rome in the large assembly of Christians there, and he decided to confront the hostile people. How do you confront the hostile with your message. Look with me in verse 17, because Paul has had many problems and issues with the Jewish leadership to this point. You might think that Paul's strategy would be keep a low profile, avoid unnecessary confrontation, especially with people who had been a problem in the past. But he initiates the meeting in verse 17. It came to pass after three days, Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people, or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death, verse 19. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called to you, to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. How does he confront the hostile. I think it's interesting that he begins by giving them hope. Do you see that at the end of verse 20 or beginning of verse 20? He says, for this reason, I have called to you to speak with you because of the hope of Israel. When he talks to them, he does not merely confront them. He has hope for them. They have been hostile to this point. They have opposed him, but he gives them a chance to hear the message. In fact, they belong to the same group did not, uh, the fact that they belonged to the same group who had chained him did not change his compassion for them. 
Paul loved them even though they had hated him. Paul didn't write them off. He didn't assume they were beyond hope. He gave them hope. Verse 21, he said, they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. He gives hope to these people who are hostile towards the truth, hostile towards Christianity, and then he does give them truth, give, always give truth to the hostile. What is this message to them? Look with me in verse 23. Several days passed when the appointed day had and they appointed him a day. Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Paul's sermon, simply put, is in explaining and testifying about the kingdom of God, about God's plan for the ages. He, he speaks about what God is doing, God's plan that involved the Jewish people. He wanted to persuade them concerning the Messiah, God's Son, the God incarnate, sent in the flesh, who walked among us, lived among us, died and was risen from the dead so that our sins could be paid for forever. He did this from morning till evening, and he persuaded them. He sought to persuade them about the gospel. And like in any time you present the gospel, some people will respond the right way, and some people won't. Look at verse 24. Some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some, it says in my Bible, disbelieved. This idea means that they, it's not that they weren't persuaded, it's that they chose to not believe. They said, no, thank you. They, they actively rejected. It's not that they were not convinced, they were not neutral in the process. They said no to the message of Christ, and because the message came out, so clear, and the message was there, Paul then rebukes them. He says, if you're not going to listen, someone else will. Look with me, if you would, for a few minutes in verse 25. When they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul, after he said this word. When it says this word, it means this message. Here's his last message to them. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. So he's going back, and he's referencing the prophet Isaiah and God's word to him the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Verse 26, saying, go to this people, the Jews, and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. He says, here is my final word to you. You are fulfilling the attitude that your fathers had, which is that you hear, but you will not listen. You see, but you do not understand. Your heart is hard. In fact, he, he rebukes them here directly, and he actually says that what's going to happen, if you keep reading in verse 28, therefore let it be known to you, look at verse 28, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and how will they respond? What does your Bible say? They will what? They will hear it. God's message went to the Jews, and the Jews rejected it. And he says, the message is going to the Gentiles, and they will receive it. In fact, if you look at this, in Romans chapter 9, this is uh, referenced, Paul talks about this from a book of Hosea. He says, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. 
And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said, you are not my people, that they shall be called the sons of the living God. In other words, there are people out there who are not part of the people of God, not Jews. They didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't have the, the law of God. They didn't have all of this uh, the background. They didn't understand it. Yet the Messiah would come and present himself to them. And how would they respond? In faith. If people who should have responded did not respond in faith, they, re- they rejected Messiah. And Paul says, the people who I'm taking the message to will hear the gospel. And it's amazing we see the explosion of the growth of the gospel message in our world history today. We see this exactly the case. The gospel message spreads, and today there are way more Gentile believers in Jesus Christ than there are Jews who believe in Jesus Christ. So what does Paul do here at the end? He says, I will take it to the Gentiles. They will hear. And when he said these words, the Jews departed, had a great dispute among themselves. I'm sure they did. But Paul, still under house arrest, for number four here, I'd like to challenge you to fulfill your ministry. That means to finish the job, because what Paul does here is, again, stuck in this house, he chooses to continue to do his work of the ministry. Having brought the ministry to the Jews, having been rejected, having preached to Gentiles like in Malta and received a warm welcome, and and God's word goes forth, I want you to notice these verses. It says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his rented house, and received all who came to him. When he had them come, what did he do? Preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Look at these last few words. No one forbidding him. This is a tremendous end to the book of Acts because I wanted to point out a couple details here. First, when I use the word fulfill your ministry, this is the language Paul uses in a couple passages. In, Acts, in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may do what? Fulfill it. You see that? We go one passage over, 2 Timothy 4, 5. He says to Timothy, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What does it mean to fulfill your ministry? It means to make it full. It means to to work out all the aspects of the ministry to the highest potential. Friends, you are to do the work of the ministry that God has called you to do to the highest potential at the greatest scale possible with the most people possible. Do not be content in small things. Fulfill the ministry while God has given you breath. When Paul, at the end of his life here, does not sit back and say, I guess I just have to wait until Caesar calls me. No, he invites people to him. It's amazing that Paul begins his ministry traveling around the known world, talking to everyone he can talk to, going to places, speaking with Jews, speaking with Gentiles, going into places that nobody wants him, preaching the gospel. At the end here, he is inviting people to come to him. And he who cannot go anywhere has people come, and he consistently preaches the gospel to those guests who are in his home. He did not waste any time. He was busy preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things of Jesus. And this book ends on a triumphant note. It is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise to Paul and his commissioning to the disciples. Because Paul taught with openness. The word here, confidence, is probably better translated openness, meaning that there was no way, no reason for him to hide anything. It's not just that he was confident in doing it. It's that he could do it. He had all the openness he needed. Nothing was preventing him from preaching and teaching of the Lord. But the last phrase is where the title of this message comes from. It says, no one forbidding him. It's a single word in the Greek, and in the, like the New American Standard translates this, he did this unhindered, unbound. 
Paul, who had been bound and who was in prison under house arrest, was unbound in his work of the ministry, unbound ministry. He may have been bound, but the Word of God is not bound. The ministry of God is not chained. We read that at the beginning of our passage this morning. In fact, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the Word of God is not chained. Friends, I don't know what we're scared of, why we're so tentative and calm and, and, and not willing to go out and administer to people or share the gospel, because there's a huge contrast here in this book between those like the pagan Maltese people and how they receive Paul and the Jewish people and how they receive Paul. There's hostility and reception. And it's amazing to me that God chose to use these Maltese people who received the truth. God, God poured out His Spirit in amazing gifts. Are you receptive to the gospel? Are you receptive and open to God's work, or are you hostile, hostile to it? Would you be willing to keep going even when God redirects and it feels like you've been shipwrecked in your life? I, I've been just meditating on this a lot because I talk to a lot of people whose plans just don't turn out like they think they would. But I challenge you that, you know, the different stages of your life mean different opportunities for different ministries. And there are young people here who think, well, I'm too young. I can't do ministry. No one would listen to me. And then you get to be a, a parent and, and you have kids. You think, well, I'm too busy. I, I can't do anything because I got kids and, and, and I got too much going on in my life. And then, you, then your kids get out of the house. You think, well, now I'm too tired. <laughs> I can't do anything. And, you, and then you get older. You say, no one wants to listen to an old person. I can't do anything. Every step along the way, there are always excuses for why you won't do the Lord's work. My challenge to you is to recognize when God pushes you and when God directs you, would you not open your eyes to where God is serving, where God is wanting you to serve? It's amazing to me that Paul, wherever he went, saw opportunities. I mean, he's in Malta. There's nobody there, yet he ministers. And he goes and he finds people to encourage, and he's encouraged. And people find him, and he encourages them. And he goes to Rome, and he ministers for years. Different stages of your life just mean different opportunities for different ministries. Would you fulfill your ministry? Expand your ministry. Fill out your ministry. See what gifts God has given you and use them for his glory. Don't sit around and wait for opportunities to come your way. Minister where God takes you. Minister to whomever God puts in your path and learn to go where God is leading and where he is blessing. Very often, we get frustrated because things aren't working like we, should, like we think they should. And we think, well, this should be doing better. And this, you know, but, but have you just opened your eyes? Perhaps God is redirecting you somewhere, other ministry, some, some other uh, effort. And so many people lay back. And, and there's a false sense of humility. Oh, I don't want to get involved. No one wants to hear from me, and nobody wants me to serve. Friends, everyone is needed for the work of the ministry. The church is built up of body parts, members. And I've said this many times, but I'll say it again, that if you are not functioning as a proper member of the church, if you're not functioning in the church like you're supposed to function, then the church is missing out, and you're missing out. Because God's brought exactly who He wants to fulfill his purpose? Would you fulfill your ministry? Would you take it seriously? Because, because the ministry is unbound. There's nothing holding back the Word of God. God's Spirit's powerful, way more powerful than us. The Word of God is going forward, and you can, you can be involved in the work of the ministry, or you can sit back and not, and regret it. 
I challenge us all today to really take seriously the responsibility to, to engage in ministry because the ministry truly is unbound. It is nothing's holding back what God is going to do. And I challenge you today to consider, am I being lazy in the work of the ministry? Have I given excuses for why I'm not more involved in ministering to people? I'm not saying everything just related to the church. I'm talking about your personal ministry beyond this church even. Are you engaged with people around you where people, God redirects your path. Have your eyes open to where God is leading. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you work in our lives now, that you open up our hearts to where we have been, uh, where we have failed in these areas. Lord, so often we look at our circumstances as a problem and our shipwrecks in our life as a, as a hurdle that just needs to be overcome. And we become so selfish and self-centered thinking about our own fulfillment and our own comfort and our own, our own things where we neglect the gospel and the kingdom of God and the fact that you have a purpose for us being there. Lord, help us not to be so self-centered, but to be kingdom-centered, to be God-centered, to think about our, our ministry around us and to fulfill this ministry, to live it out like Paul did here at the end of his life, unhindered, spreading the gospel to whomever would come his way. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us to commit ourselves again to renew our hearts because you are the great king and you will reign Where'er the sun doth the successive journeys run, your kingdom will spread from shore to shore. And we're thankful for the kingdom of God that is on the march. I pray we would be willing to jump on board and spread the gospel wherever we can to fulfill the great commission that you've given to us, to take the good news to every nation, making disciples. We do this, Lord, for your glory, not for our own, and we pray, ask for your... your um, endurance, the endurance of the Lord Jesus to be with us as we move forward, as we minister